as we settle down, just a brief um, brief recap from from yesterday. We're exploring this idea, which is quite kind intuitive to the nature of spiritual growth, which links into um, links into a lot um, of how we process our how we process our perspective of nature, supernature, how we process our perception of life. And um, when we're thinking about when we're thinking about the nature of, of of life itself, so one of the most important things is the way that we relate to the events that surround us. And the general perspective of the way that we respond to events is we look at nature as almost a force that's unstoppable and we have to respond to it otherwise we're in trouble and there's two ways of relating to that first way of relating to that could be we acknowledge it's a force and we separate that force from divine influence and we look at divine influence as a external factor that can sometimes swoop in and change nature. So in other words, that's almost like the, the Superman vision of God, where I'm in a situation, a trouble occurs, some supernatural force swoops down from the heavens and rescues me. And in that context, um, the idea of nature would be that Nature is its own up and running system. Um, and then um, what happens is as, as time, um, nature is its own up, up and running system and, and Hashem is more powerful than nature, his ability to override. But what we learned from his system, time was exactly not that way. Nature itself is a vehicle of divine expression. And nature is not in competition with Hashem, but it is an expression of Hashem. Now that's huge because that redefines where we're going to locate our resource of spiritual um, nourishment. Now imagine what, what I, you and I perhaps would think would be the best place to, to invest in spirituality. Well, I don't know about you, but I would like imagine a person perched on top of a mountaintop meditating with uh, silent contemplation, the mysteries of the creation. And then I think, well, that guy's, he's really spiritual. He has a really kind of um, good, good um, kind of perspective of how to get spirituality. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine that spirituality is, um, is in the, the nitty gritty, dirty details of life in, in the workplace. Uh, for example, and let's let's focus on the workplace because I think it's a great it's a great place to begin. Could you imagine uh, the spiritual searcher as a as a businessman, or would you think that no, the business would be an an interruption to his spirituality, or something like you'd have to take off time in order for him to in order for him to go and occupy himself with business? So I mean, like you know, like have a break so you can go be spiritual and then you'll come back to his business. So I'll share with you a, a powerful 
It's called the Chassid Yaivetz. He's a commentator on Pekka Abbas. He's a Rishon. And um, he explains the Mishnah, this Mishnah in the following way. There's a Mishnah which says, in Ein Derech Eretz, Ein Torah. There's no Derech Eretz, there's no Torah. And, you know, there's a lot of different interpretations of what Derech means and what Ein Derech Eretz, Ein Torah means. There are those that explain it's going on Midas. But the Chazid Yairus understands Derech Eretz, which is quite a common explanation, means business. If there is no business, there's no Torah. Meaning, business is a requirement for Torah. And if we're looking at, if we're perceiving Torah as our access towards spirituality, so then it's kind of intuitive to think that the place I'll find spirituality is in the boardrooms of the hedge fund managers um, and not on the mountains of Tibet. Where, where do you see spirituality over there? But not only is that a emerging place for spirituality to occur, but without that, you can't get to spirituality. Meaning not only is um, the boardroom an option to access spirituality, but it's a requirement for spirituality to evolve. So that becomes quite, uh, quite interesting as to why would you need, why would you need business to create spirituality? Ain't derech eretz, ain't Torah. You without derech eretz, you can't have Torah. That, that's a very strange, that's a very strange thing. So it goes back to a basic fundamental and it's, 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 re, it's related to our perception of cause and effect in terms of mitzvahs themselves. And I'll give an example and then we'll go back to him in Derek Eretz and then we'll go back to this overriding principle of spirituality in the workplace. Normally, we could respond to mitzvahs as a, um, a guidebook for living life. You know, you're in life and life's very confusing. How do I exactly approach all these complex set of events in my life? And the choice is, well, you know, in this situation, do this. In that situation, do that, you know? So for example, one of the things that we, we need to have an approach to is how we relate to, to our parents. You know, do we, do we relate to them in, in a, uh, you know, do, do, do we take them for granted? Don't we take them for granted? Do, how far do we go with our, we do honor them, how far should we go with our honor? Should we be in order or of them? Should we help them out? Should they help us out? It's a very complex relationship and we need guidance. So the Torah says, listen, I've got these laws, they're called the laws of keep it over aim, respecting your parents, and those are gonna be really helpful in negotiating this complex, complex relationship. In, in, that, in that model, um, the parents are primary and the mitzvah is secondary. Meaning, well, since parents are reality, that's something which is a fixed reality, I now need to find a way of dealing with them, so I need to have a mitzvah to help me. The, the perspective that we're sharing now, which is, which is going to be the basis to understanding the Yaivetz, but Rebbe Yuchim speaks about it as well, is the exact opposite chain of causality. It's not that I have parents and therefore I have to have an approach to them, but rather I need to express a spiritual connection to be able to connect Hashem in a variety of different ways. 
And one of the channels of spiritual connection I need to access is the way I relate to other people. And one of the people I need to relate to are the people who brought my reality into being, those are my parents. And because there's a part of my own spiritual essence that needed expression, that's called a mitzvah. So I need to have a platform to express it. So because there's a mitzvah of keep it off aim, therefore man had to be born from parents and parents would become a reality in human life. Theoretically, we could have been born spontaneously from eggs without having a knowledge of where we came from. But the reason why the creator set it up that there is a child raising that's required of human children and that that becomes from parents who actually physically give birth and each of the parents, the mother and the father, are contributing different components to that birthing process and the raising process, that is all in order that we should be able to experience this mitzvah of of aim. In other words, parents aren't imperative. The mitzvah is imperative, but the mitzvah creates the need for parents. So how do I get to a level of awareness of Hashem through parents? Okay, so um, I, I keep on making just I keep on admitting him, but it doesn't work for some reason. I'm not sure why not. Um, so, so that's that's a that's a radically different way of of cause and effect that we normally say. Now, I just want to go a little bit deeper, specifically into this. What does it mean to to what is the myth of Kibla of aim and and parenting and the very complex sugya? But let's just flesh it out just to drop more. The Kibla of Aim comes as the fourth of the Aserisa Debris. So the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And it's, sorry, it's the fifth, I beg your pardon. It's the fifth of the Ten Commandments. And essentially it's on the wrong side of the tablets. There two, there's two tablets given, one which, which embody the mitzvahs between man and God and one between mitzvahs man and man. The first five seemingly are describing our fundamental relationships to Hashem and the second five to man, and that's why the first of the five is Hashem Hashem I'm Hashem your God, don't worship idols, don't take my name in vain, keep the Shabbos, and then ironically, respect your parents. On the second side of the Luke is you have don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't testify falsely, and don't cover. Those are all between man and man. So already, it's a bizarre placement of Kibla of Aim on that side of the Beluches. The Maral says a point which is a, um, a game changer, I believe, for all of us in relating to our parents. He says that Shabbos is the representation of what's called Ashkoch Klalis, which means Shabbos represents Hashem's creation of the world, in a general sense, he makes the whole thing happen. And Kibla of Aim is Ashkocha Pratis. Kibla of Aim, parental honor, is Hashem's manifestation of engineering the particularities of my life. So now let's think about this for a moment. Very often, um, people are stuck with parental models aren't ideal and very often people are stuck with childhoods which um, 
sometimes abusive, sometimes traumatic, sometimes neglected, sometimes amazing. And there's a whole spectrum. But very often those childhood memories have pain and one thinks back and thinks to himself, I wish things would have been different. I, think I wish things would have been better. If only my parents had done this and this for me, if only this and this would have happened. And there's a lot of um, kind of regret very often in people because they recognize in their present being the wounds that they bear from their childhood. And very often those wounds were inflicted either willingly or unwillingly through their parents. So what would be a, a way of um, allowing those, those a relationship to those wounds? Imagine if you are now called upon to honor the people that gave you the impediments that you now suffer from. That sounds like a ludicrous expectation. So comes Hashem and he says, I want you to understand where Kibbut Avem sits. It's actually not between you and, you and them. It's between you and me. And your parents are my vehicles of your mission in life. And the reason why I gave you parents who are human, fallible, and so vulnerable to, to error, as we all are, is in order to create for you a platform which will give you the struggles, which will make you into the man and give you the mission in life that you need to perform. And the myths of Kippur of Aim can only be performed when I acknowledge that these people were vehicles of divine expression. Because until I've let that, um, let go of my um, anger, whatever it is against them, I can't hold them in awe and give them the respect that the mitzvah demands. So in that model, it's an incredibly well-orchestrated movement of self that Hashem wants us to um, live, wants us to develop. He says, I'm going to give you the most difficult, difficult way of self-development. And that's called Kibbutz of Aim. In order for me to do that, I'm going to create you with a birthing and child-raising platform called parenting. In other words, the parents are the vehicle to allow the mitzvah of Kibbutz of Aim, which is so fundamental because it connects us to Hashem in the nitty-gritty details of our life, accepting the fallibilities and going to learn up our mission and embracing our past and looking at life through the eyes of a divine engineer. It's so fundamental that Hashem said, the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to create parents and then through me giving you the midst of keeping of aim, I will then bring out from you this powerful perspective of life which can be so redeeming, so powerfully empowering to every aspect of our lives. But I need parents to be there to do that. So it's not that now we've got parents, we have to now honor them. No, because I want to bring this out of you, I'm going to create parents that will do that to you. And therefore, it's because they are, they've keep it of aim, that's why they're parents. So parents create the Torah. They, they make it happen. Similarly, similarly, in Ein Derech Torah, it's not that 
Hashem said, you've got a world, you've got to eat. Um, to eat, you can't be, you know, we can't be hunters and gatherers anymore. We have to act in commercial trade. Commercial trade, there's, there's notions of acquisition, transaction, and therefore we need to have an approach. So it comes along the Torah and comes up with a very complex set of laws of ownership, transaction, acquisition, etc. The other way around. Hashem wanted us to have integrity, honesty. He wanted us to be put in a situation where we'd be tempted to lie and remain steadfast to the truth. He wanted us to be able to forecast cause and effect and to show responsibility and um, faithfulness to, to other people who rely on us. So he created this complex thing called business in order to produce all these different traits. And only through engaging in that process can we actually reap the reward of Torah. So in other words, what is the reward called? In the world of Shulchan Aruch, one of the sections, or the four sections of Shulchan Aruch is called Choshen Mishpat, and that is the section which deals with the laws of business. In other words, that, that whole world of Torah evolves from business dealings. It's not that because there's business, therefore there's Torah. Because there's business, because that, um, sorry, it's not because there's, there's um, already a pre-existing commercial structure we need to have approach. But the commercial structure engages, brings out in me a whole new world of spirituality which would be completely vacant from my life if it didn't exist. So in this model, the world itself, in its crass, sometimes ugly, sometimes very painful faces, are ways of allowing me to connect spiritually. And the dislocation of an ascetic lifestyle in a cave somewhere in a far forgotten mountain is devoid of the richness of the spirituality that Judaism has as its vision. It's a completely different world. In other words, in Teva, that's where we find the Bayer In the normal Bayerot of life, we see the Ratzon Hashem expressed. It's not in the supernatural that we immediately seek Hashem. It's within the natural, because in the world of the unity of Hashem, there's not two different systems, one of miracles and one of nature. There's a singular system. And sometimes that system manifests the Ratzim Hashem, the will of Hashem, in a predictable set of cause and effect, which we, are, which we encourage to bring out from its spirituality. And there are times when it transcends the expected cause and effect and what we call miraculous events occurred. But there's nothing fundamental different between the, different, fundamentally different between those two events. So that, that's a, a kind of a further clarification and what we began to discuss um, yesterday. Yerbucham takes it, takes it a bit further, and he, he, weaves it into, he weaves it into the idea of, of prayer. And uh, also in terms of prayer, gives us a different perspective of tefillah. Um, and well, we see how closely it's related. It could be it's tangentially related. But it's, it certainly has a, a lot of uh, common connections. So, how's it related? Um, normally, the way we see things is, you know, prayer is, is, is generally a response to something going wrong. Someone gets sick, I pray for them. Um, someone loses their, their, their job, their money. Um, you know, they're having issues with a particular 
area of their life you pray. In other words, there's almost a praise or response to what's called the tzara. Something, something happening to me, something negative occurring in my life. And uh, a believing person will say, well, you know, there's a powerful creator. So if I appeal to him, he removes the tzara. In that version of prayer, the tzara is the problem and the prayer is the solution. And the solution is reached when the, when the problem disappears. So person's well, ideal. Person gets sick, problem. Person pray, prays and is healed, solution. And in that, again, in the level of cause and effect, the prayer is, um, the solution is the removal of the Torah, and the prayer is the means to that end. So Rabbi Rechum quotes a medrash in, in Shmois, which is actually related to, to the exodus from Egypt. And uh, the medrash brings a marshal, an analogy, a story. There was once a king, and he was walking on the way. And all of a sudden, he heard these piercing cries coming from nearby. Carefully and tentatively, he makes his way towards where the noises are coming from, and he sees a young maiden who's been captured by a group of bandits. In a valiant act of chivalry, he attacks the bandits, rescues the young maiden, and takes her off to his palace. As time goes by, he wants to marry her. But by that time, she's lost interest. She doesn't want, she's not interested in him. She's, she's become like quite used to the luxuries and the comforts of the palace. And she, she's quite happy to be by herself. So he keeps on calling out to her, but she doesn't respond. So he recognizes that the only way to get her to reach out to him and reconnect is to put her in the same kind of vulnerable position that she was before. So he gets one of his um, servants to take her out for a walk in the forest, hires a group of people to act as bandits, and they capture her. And again, she screams out. And when she screams out, he comes and saves her, and they can reconnect. And that's an analogy that the, the Medrash uses for the slavery in Egypt. Jewish people go into slavery. They're under extremely dire circumstances. But it's Akwil Hashem. Eventually, they cry out to Hashem, and then the entire um, set of miracles the reordering of nature occurs, which um, occurred in Egypt. And then they get to the sea. And uh, the Medrash is actually on that point. When they're at the, at the spitting sea, it says, Paro Hikriv. And Paro now comes attacking him. And the Medrash says, What's this? Why does Paro come back to life again and then try to assail them at the sea? So the Medrash says, Because they essentially become disconnected from Hashem. Hashem needed to hear their, their cry of connection yet again. So now, the bizarre thing about this medrash is it completely switches the nature of, of prayer. And it says that it's not that the trouble is the cause of prayer, but the lack of prayer is the cause of trouble. The goal is not to actually remove 
the problem, but the problem is the solution because the real problem is a disconnection. So how do you recreate the connection by creating a dire situation that we will say, Hashem help me. And then the solution is actually the prayer. So the problem is the lack of prayer and the solution is the tragic event. Because a tragic event solves a problem. What's a problem? The lack of connection. And the Yeshua, the redemption when it comes, is then the revelation, the uncovering of the existence of Hashem in that moment as well. So really, the point is not to get rid of the Torah. The point is to get reconnected. When you're reconnected, sometimes you reconnect so deeply that it completely undoes the need for that problem to occur because the connection becomes so solidified. So that's a completely different version of the way that cause and effect occurs in the nature of tefillah. And it's um, very, very closely connected to the way that we see cause and effect and mitzvahs in the natural world. Um, I, I just want to, I, I, we're going to have to go over this again because I think it is a, it is a complex point to grasp and it's very different. But it completely revolutionizes our perspective of what a tzara is, which I think could be very relevant for where we are at time in history. In other words, a tzara isn't something that we need to get rid of. A tzara is an outstretched arm saying, I need to be connected to you. Please reconnect. Please call out. Please engage me. And the Rebbeucham says that it's, it's quite simple that the, the, the definition of tefillah is called Kriyas Hashem. You're calling Hashem's name. And he, he brings a very simple analogy that if I'm standing on this side of the room and my friend Shimon is standing on the other side of the room and I want him to come to me, I go, Shimon, so that he'll come to me. I call out his name. And that allows him to respond and to come back to me. And then we can have a discussion. We can re-engage in a relationship. So we've kind of run out of time. And I don't want to um, go too much further with this. I wanted to have some time for, for maturation and digestion. And then hopefully um, tomorrow we'll, um, we'll continue and uh, take both the first theme of the seeing that nature is our actually at our destination for spiritual greatness and nature means every one of the nitty-gritty mundane details of life that's actually where spirituality lives and that's where we can get real connection and that prayer in a very similar line but not directly um related in a very similar line is another way of developing that connection and through the pain we rediscover whole new way of connecting to Hashem. So we'll explore those ideas perhaps a little bit further tomorrow. Um, any questions before we end the meeting? Okay. So let's um, reconvene tomorrow. Thank you for your time and patience and look forward to seeing you again on the morning.